Hey good people, this is Yuri and I, Dom, back with another reflection, and this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So hey, reclaiming my time, and the truth shall set you free. That is my starting point. Reclaiming my time, and the truth shall set you free. In all honesty, um, I haven't, I've been really struggling with getting on the podcast to record because I haven't had a very clear starting point. Naturally, I'm all over the place uh, with the, the death of my person and dealing with all of her affairs and the aftermath of that. I'm only trying to return to some type of normalcy. So a lot has happened, a lot of events, a lot of learnings, a lot of wonderings, and I just have been all over the place been desperately wanting to find some anchor text to center myself in a reflection. I just haven't I just haven't had one theme and so I just said I was gonna hit the record button today because, you know, it's been I think it's been two weeks. And um, you know, I have a relationship with you all. I don't know you, but I feel like I have a relationship with you all and so I just felt like you deserved me coming back and struggling through a reflection, even though I really don't have, I don't really, really have a central thing to think about. So, um, I was trying on a couple of concepts to start off with. I I wrote a list. I'm going to read that list to you. And this list started from yesterday. Juxtaposition is number one. Number two, analytic, holistic intimacy. Number three, time travel. Uh, lessons and decision reinforcement. Number four, abandoned, neglected. Number five, ground zero. New emotional connections. That's all under number five. Number six, cognitive dissonance. Number seven, field dependency. I guess there will be a number eight, although I didn't number it on the second piece of paper. Three types of intellectualism. Number nine, caught up, are you? Number ten, unrequited and unrecognized love. And I guess, I guess if we're going to. Well, 11, I have a lot of notes here on this paper, so number 11, attachment, intimacy, and vulnerability, and number 12, self-care as political warfare. Like, those are all of the random thoughts that I was able to record and capture in the last two days. I don't know what the central theme is. Then I was going to hit the record button and call it this discovery and say, you know, when I start talking... I'll fall into a rabbit hole or the webs and the, you know, there's webbing that happens in my brain and things start making sense. And I'm like, well, we just call it discovery. But I did an episode called discovery two years ago. So didn't want to call it discovery too. So we're just going to start off with, um, starting off with reclaiming my time and the truth will shed, <laughs> the truth will set you free. Hey, if you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds 
I do so by using personality theory. The two theories that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram, pushing those two systems together. I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower so a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing social scientist and educator of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets of critical race feminism, which basically means I have an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs of power, such as race, class, gender, sexuality, to name a few. This project is unedited and is unscripted. If you want to know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, number one, I'm in my car, um, but I'm not at the large body of water. I've thought about it. I just didn't have the energy to drive there, and so I just needed to get this reflection done because I've been trying to do it since Wednesday because I, I planned on giving you last week's reflection just late, like Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And so just I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to hit the record button. And so this morning I said, don't, don't, drive, to the, don't, don't drive to the water. Um, because you're going to get distracted. And so I drove to a coffee shop and got some coffee, and then I just parked in a parking lot somewhere, and I'm facing traffic. So you're going to hear the windows coming up and down because it's winter. It's February. I'm in the Midwest. And although we've been having nice weather, um, anyway, I'm in the car. And when I get warm, I'm going to roll the windows down. And then when the, the noise outside irritate me I'm going to roll the windows up so I just want to give you the heads up that you're going to hear that I also want to say um, to a listener that um, I don't think this listener has ever contacted me before Um, so it's a person that I think this is a new contact somebody emailed me to give me some feedback and I've been thinking a lot about it and I really really should do a separate reflection to for you on YouTube. I'm thinking about doing that. So I wanted to just let you know I did receive it, and I really, really appreciate it. It's something you've been giving me something to chew on over the last couple of weeks. You sent the reflection right before my person passed, and so I just, obviously, I couldn't, I couldn't attend to, to your email but um, it's been in the hopper. I've been processing it. And I want to come and do a long... I, I want to really respond to you. Um, but um, I don't want to... Um, I'm afraid it's going to take me off course. So I'm going to try to do it on YouTube. But just for those of you who are like, what are you talking about? Somebody emailed me on you um, emailed me on my website. And um, there was an episode that I did in December, December 28th, I believe. I don't remember the name of it. But in that episode, I made a reference like um, something to the effect of podcast number two. Because podcast number one, I don't remember. I can't remember exactly. I did reference podcast number one and podcast number two. And the person was so beautiful. The person was like, you make me feel like we're your side chick. <laughs> you make me feel like well you're you're you we are your side chick when you say 
podcast number two because there are things that I don't give you all in podcast number two. And I say podcast number one is under my primary identity. And he was like, yo, you're in a love affair relationship with us and you got us hidden. We're not getting all of you. You, you got us as a side chick. I love that reference. I love it, love it, love it. And I want to come back and say you are right enough to give me... To, the pushback was beautiful. And it really gave me something to think about. So I've been really chewing on it. And it might come up in this reflection. The truth shall set you free. But um, I want to push back a little bit on that too. But I think that pushback is also about telling the truth. So... Reclaiming my time and the truth will set you free could easily absorb your email. And so I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to send me that feedback. Um, Just taking the time and thank you for what you said because I definitely have been marinating on it, okay? All right. So the last time I was with you, um, it was a few days after my person had transitioned and um, she passed away. And um, I was in shock and um, kind of numb. So it's been two weeks. Um, we we buried her last Saturday. So yesterday was the one-week anniversary. Her funeral was not yesterday, but a week ago. And I um, had to do a tribute. And that was that was complicated, y'all. That was not an easy thing to do. So that's where a lot of my energy was going, trying to figure out how am I going to do this tribute? Like, um, what am I going to say? And I want to be honorable, yet I want to be truthful. How do you do that? How do you do that with the kind of complication, complicated relationship that we had? So that took a lot of my energy. Um, <clears throat> I kind of wished I would have come to you before I did it because, and I was planning on it because I really needed to think it through. But, I mean, we were still in the midst of planning a funeral. I'm dealing with a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people who loved her and who are trying to love on, on me, my sister and me, as an extension of her. Um, it was a lot and I just it was just a lot that's all I can say um, so I tried to outline that tribute <clears throat> most of the times I don't do tributes tributes do me if you will like a poem a tribute an essay they just come to me and then I write down what came to me but um, it wasn't coming I had so much blockage and I wasn't even going to do it my um I had resolved that I just don't need to do it because I don't want to get up in front of people and lie I don't want to lie I don't this just doesn't feel the right it didn't feel like the right thing to do to get in front and just say something because of my relationship to the person people do expect me to speak now <laughs> Unfortunately, so many funerals, and I've been, I've been, spirit has given me something to say at those funerals, and I get up and I say it. 
But I felt like spirit didn't get me anything for this one. And I just didn't feel like it was right to get up and lie or bastardize. There was a reason, in my opinion, that spirit didn't give me anything. So, and I also didn't want to dishonor my person. There's a lot of love there. Even though there's a lot of complication, there's a lot of love. And so, I was just blocked. And so I just was like, you don't have to. I gave myself permission, you don't have to. And then my sister was like, I'm putting you on the program. (laughs) And I could have said no to her, but, you know, I just felt like if she hadn't said it, I wouldn't have. I just wouldn't have done it. When my grandmother passed. (laughs) It was kind of weird. When my grandmother passed. My person was like. Who's going to represent the grandkids? And I'm like. Are you kidding me? I'm going to represent the grandkids. I'm the oldest. And my person just had a history. Had a history of erasing me. And invalidating me. Just had a history of it. It's just. It's just true. I wish it weren't. I wish there was something else for me to say right now, but it's just true. So I was like, this is five years ago. No, this is almost seven years ago. I was like, I'm going to do the tribute. And my person just was like, we'll see. So I read to people what I had because I wrote it down. And then because it was good. My person was like, okay, you can do it. So there's there's some analysis I can put to that, but I don't want to do that right now. So anyway, if my sister would have acted like my person and acted on the fence about me doing the tribute, that would have been an easy no-brainer for me. Sorry, there's a heat. Because I would have been like, okay, nothing's coming to me anyway. I don't have anything to say. So we don't have to do it. But my sister was like, just automatically just put me on the program. And so, you know, I really wanted to. I wanted to. And I, then I felt challenged. Like, why? Why in God's name would you want to get up front and talk when you know that that was a complicated relationship? And then I challenged myself. I chastised myself. Are you doing it just to be seen? Right? I had all of these icky feelings. Like, why do you want to do it? Do you want to be seen? That was one question. Another thing, I wondered, are you doing it to set the record straight? Because there was a little bit of that in me. Like, let me like, let me tell you something. <laughs> and I was like, that can be dangerous. Right, we want to, We're not going to use that platform to do this. We just don't. I could. I just didn't want to. And then there was a third thing about representing her. A lot of who I am, and a lot of the skills that I have, because of my person. And I wanted to represent her, and so it was. It was complicated. So I said I would do it, and then I didn't have anything. So I, I thought. I thought when I said I would do it that the words would come. They didn't come. They didn't come at all. So 
the morning, the morning of the funeral, I get up because I hadn't been staying at home. I had been staying at my person's house and with my sister, and then my nieces came. Um, so we were all in the house, and one of my aunts stayed downstairs. And anyway, so that morning when I got up to go home to get dressed, to get ready for the funeral, I, was, I said to my oldest niece, because she was complaining about only having five minutes. She wanted to have more than five minutes. And um, I said to her, I said, my oldest niece is 23. She'll be 24. She keeps saying to people, I'll be 24. <laughs> I said to her, I said, hey, do you want my time? You can have my time because I don't, I don't have anything. I don't, I don't think I'm going to have anything. I'm going to go home and see what I can do. But just in case I can't pull it together, do you want to take my time and add it to yours? And then you just cover me. And she said, yeah. I said, okay. That made me feel better. And I went home and I just was like, you just have to be okay with that. When I got home, I sat in front of the computer and I said, you know, is, that, is this what you're going to do? Are you going to go out like that? I'm not a person that runs from a challenge. Are you going to just go out like that? And um, I said, sit down and just type, type. The night before, I had found two quotes. Usually that helps. And I looked at those quotes. I said, just start. And I knew I had those two quotes. And I knew I wanted to do some storytelling. I had seven to eight short stories that I wanted to tell about my person but man picking picking I couldn't give all of those because there was a time limit I'm like okay you can only pick three which three are you going to do so anyway to make a long story short from eight to nine in the morning I wrote it I never do a presentation like that man I write I edit I practice I edit I mean it it was nothing but spirit and um Oh my God, something has come. You guys, there's a lot, you know, you know, I got a list in front of me and, and I have a lot still in my head that didn't even make it to the list. That's like fighting for attention. So, um, we'll see what, we'll see if I dare try to, what, what do I give my attention to the list on, on the seat or the list is forming in my head. I don't know. But anyway, um, I did it and, um, I did it y'all. And one of my uh, staff members who worked for me at the school, when she saw me struggling the night before, she said, I sound just struggling. She said, you're going to do it. You're going to pull it off. And I, and my person used to always say that to me when I would feel stressed, like, I can't do it. You, you could do it. You're going to do it at the light. It's going to come together. And I'm like, that's pressure. Because it was the last minute I didn't have it. But yet, I pulled it off, y'all. It was amazing. It was really, really good. And um, and I'm going to, at some point, I want to share it with you all. So, no, you're not my side chick. I'm going to share it with you. <laughs> and so, um, hold on. And when I was, I read it and I tried to come off, you know, I tried to, and I think that was part of the problem because I had things to say, but I wanted it to be more authentic. Um, and, and that's how I usually prepare a presentation. 
I just kind of flow. I kind of, I don't, I don't write it first. I talk it. That's my first draft. I talk and imagine what I'm going to say. I literally talk and imagine myself doing it wherever the venue is. Whatever the venue is I'm supposed to be talking in, I imagine it and I start talking, acting it out. And that was the problem because in the imagining and acting it out, a lot of stuff was trying to come to the forefront that was not appropriate for that setting. So I had to, once I started typing, I had more control over what was coming out, but it didn't feel like it was spirit led. That was the problem. Yeah, it helped to write it because then I could control what was coming out, but it didn't feel spirit led. It felt controlled and that didn't feel like giving my gift. But anyway, um, what was I going to say? Somebody just pulled up next to me, and that's distracting. Like, don't park next to me. I just want, I like being surrounded by openness. You just ruined it for me. But anyway, (laughs) oh, my gosh. So when I got up to read it, it felt weird because I literally was reading. And I was standing in front of hundreds of people reading. That's not how y'all do a presentation. I usually, not if it's a poem, but I'm like, something like that. I wanted to come off that script. You guys know I like being unscripted, but it would have been a dangerous thing for me to be unscripted. So I did a lot of reading. I tried my best to kind of look up at the people and I tried my best to ad lib. Like if I knew how that sentence was going to end, I tried to, I tried to not read it and Talk about then there were a couple of times I lost my space because I was on my phone. The script was on my phone. It was anyway, anyway. But as I was reading it, I could hear people laughing. And I knew there was one place that they may have laughed, but they really laughed several times. And then there was a thunderous applause at, at the end. And that felt so good. But I kept my head down as I walked back to my seat. And I just needed to be in my NI. I didn't usually, and I've learned this about myself recently within the last few years, because usually I don't focus. Like when I walk, I'm not looking around. I usually look at the ground, which is how I've found money before. I found, I find money a lot because I'm always looking at the ground when I jog, when I walk. And I never knew why I was doing that, but I would, here's my theory I look at the ground because I'm trying to block out the sensory data because I'm trying to get in my NI space. Now, I know that when I, five years ago, when I, when the, when the, um, when the, just when the, when the virtual world became what it is today, when we started having this virtual experience, engaging with people, I found myself not looking like if somebody asked me, it's a question I found myself looking away they if they were if they were on a screen I found myself looking away from the screen and kind of turning my head to the side and trying to go up into my imagination or into my mind's eye and focus on and really listen to what they're saying through my NI and not my SE and I I figured that's what I was doing and I had somebody in the um in the audience in Zoomland 
typed, say they were rec, they recognized me doing that. That's just because it was a distraction. Like, like I have, like if I'm doing a presentation on Zoom and then, you know, there's a chat room and people are asking questions, there's no way I'm going to be able to attend to that chat room and talk about what I'm trying to say this in my mind's eye. So I'll usually ask somebody to monitor this, the, to monitor the chat, the thread, and then give it to me. And then I'm just, anyway, I just, it's just me blocking out the sensory data. So anyway, when I walked back from the, from the podium to, um, back to my seat, I could hear the thunderous claps, but I didn't look, I didn't look out. Well, I didn't find out till later that day that I got a standing ovation. I didn't know that. Wow. And I, that, that, that's complicated for me too. Like, God, you guys, I could just process that. Like, I got a standing ovation for writing something that was so freaking difficult at the last minute. And I remember them laughing. What I found out later that many people said they laughed and cried. It was just wow. So I feel a little, I felt a little bit, a little guilty that I was distracted by that data. Like that data of having of writing something at the last minute, getting pe- people laughing and crying, getting a stand of, standing ovation, having people clap, having people come up to me and laugh. I had so many people come up to me. This one lady was like, you should run for president. You should run for president. I was like, what? Like, in my mind, like, what did I say? Like, <laughs> what did I say? And I did say some things that were political, but not, I always talk about capital P and lowercase p. I didn't say anything capital P politics, but I did talk. <laughs> I talked. To, I did talk a little bit about um, racism and patriarchy and the social world. You guys know, you know me. If you've been following me, you know it comes out right. Which is why I started adding those disclaimers because I always thought if you come to me knowing that I'm into Myers Briggs, MBTI, and Enneagram. You need to know that some other things are going to come out of my mouth. I am going to talk about the social world. And um, I think that there's some of you who are not. I think there are people who are not with it. People from the personality community, they don't want to hear that. They just want to talk about pure. The, but what I, what I learned recently is personality theory falls under the umbrella of social psychology. It's not just a, it's under psychology, but it's really a social psychology. This is about who you are with around other, in terms of other people. Pe- you know, anyway. But I had a lot of people come to me and, uh, you know, people there had seen me speak at several funerals. They were like, you really like words. And I'm like, oh, I don't think I like words. I'm a con- concept person. I, let me put it this way. I like words because they help me to make meaning of concepts and impressions and ideas as an NITOM. Words are a lifeline for me. It's not that I like, like, I believe my person liked words. That's what we had in common. We had a relationship with words, but for two different reasons. 
like my person liked the technical aspect of the words, the how they were spelled, the etymology of the word, the um, the uh, uh, the definition of the word. That's secondary for me. What's first primary for me is that word then takes a, uh, an impression and makes it a concept and makes it transferable so I can communicate it out anyway. And so, you know, one of the things that speaking, getting to the point of my my follower from Muriel and I Dom who sent me the message, the email about treating you all as a side chick, here's a good way to make a connection. Because from that few, you know, me speaking at that funeral the way that I did and the implications, like how people responded to me and like the implications of that. I think this is the, this is, this is another complication about this project for me. I'm going to try to, try to speak about it a little bit. Um, I feel called, I feel called, I've always felt called, like I was, I was put on earth to do something. I've always felt that. I can go back to about four years old with that feeling. It's a definite feeling or impression on me that I was called to do something. Now, that doesn't mean that I feel like I'm special and I was called and nobody else is called. I think we're all called to do something. I believe if we were put on this earth, um, in this realm, I believe there's something that we're supposed to do in this dimension for whatever, you know, and I, I went through a phase where that was complicated because once I started thinking about this dimension as a dimension and not being absolute because there was a time when this dimension was absolute. It's not absolute for me anymore. It is a dimension. Although since my person has passed, I have that, that, that thought has been I've poked that a little bit. Like, is it absolute? But but I'm still right now in the, it is not. This is just a dimension. Now, what else, what is another dimension? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's another dimension that has significance. I don't know. And my sister and I had a brief conversation about the afterlife. And we had an, a conversation about the afterlife when our father died. And and it wasn't really a conversation. I asked my sister if she really, really believed that there was an afterlife. And she said, I absolutely believe. I said, really? I told you guys this before. So with my person being gone, it came up again. But this time it came up where my sister was like, well, you don't believe that there's an afterlife? I said, I want to. I want to believe that there's a place that we are going to be, re, you know, re, you know, re, start, I'm struggling, reunited, reconnected. But my rational brain makes it very, it's very difficult. My rational brain really, really won't allow me to have that thought. Um, but my rational brain does say this can't, that there's just, not enough data to say that this is absolute that this is it there's not enough data that would suggest that this thing that we call earth and this physical realm it's not enough data to say that this is it 
you know, we say it's not enough data to say that there's something else. And I'm saying there's not enough data to say that this is it. So this is just where I'm at. And I just, I want to be wrong. And so I'm sad, (laughs) y'all. I'm really, really sad. So anyway, it is what it is. (sighs) Anyway. So getting back to being called, I don't believe I'm just called. I believe we all have a calling and, you know, it is my desire to push people to get to that calling. And I've, I've done it in a number of ways. I'm, and because I have identified as an educator first for so long, I've been governed by that calling being an educator. And even now that I see myself, I'm really accepting and acknowledging that I'm a social scientist first. There's a calling that I feel that is about fighting the barriers that prevent us from reaching our full potential. Like that feels like a calling too. So it feels like it's still connected. Like there's a calling to help people to get to that destination. I feel that deeply and I feel gifted to do that. You know, I feel like that's a a superpower. I feel like I just, I mentioned something about 15, 20 minutes ago that I didn't finish because I was going to tell you guys my, Oh, I didn't. I did finish it because I was saying somebody who worked for me was like, oh, you're going to pull it together for the the, the, the the tribute. Okay. Anyway, I was like, did I start that and didn't finish it? But so I'm really, I feel, I do feel like that's a gift that I have. That I am, many people will say, I can, I can speak life into you. I can speak life into you. I pretty much can see where you, um, I can see where you can go and I can, I just, I I would say I'm gifted to do that. That's why one of the things I want to do is do life coaching. Um, It's just hard to try to start a life coaching business while I'm trying to do so many things. It's just only so much I'm going to be able to do. But anyway, I do feel gifted to do that. And, and I feel called to, Fight for those barriers that prevent us from getting our, to our destination. See, one barrier is our own psychology, our own mental wiring. Not wiring. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Nope. Our wiring doesn't prevent us from getting to our destination. Our whatever our psych. Our I don't know. I think our our environment, our, this, I think how we were socialized, the way we're socialized can prevent us from getting to our destination. Because oftentimes we're socialized for somebody else's agenda. We're not socialized for our own agenda, our own calling. And that's, so let me just call that social psychology. Like I feel like that's something I can do. Right. But then I think that there are some other structures that prevent us from getting to our calling, our destination. And I am very confident 
and emboldened and inspired and encouraged when it's time to fight those barriers. I enjoy fighting those barriers. It gives me life. I relish in the fight. I delight in it. And I need to do more of it. My sister said about a month ago, you shouldn't have been an educator. You really should have been a, you should have gone to law school like you originally planned. That was the original plan. And I got distracted because the eight in me, the eight Enneagram eight was pursuing like law school because we we're going to fight. But there was something about education and that instructional process that really satisfied the INTJ me. And that's where I landed. But the eight is just too much for the the education world. <laughs> um, uh, it is a lot, and and uh, and uh, there are a lot of people who don't who don't like me because of it, because of the eight. And um, I have to reconcile that. That's one of the things that I that is on that that I feel connects to this, and the truth will set you free, because that isn't me, you know. So anyway, um, so I want to clean up. There's the psychology of empowerment. And then there's the social structural component of empowerment. And I live in both of those spaces. In not what, quote unquote, my calling. I don't even know. That was a rabbit hole. I don't even know why I went there. But it's even given me life. Like even some of the sadness lifted the moment I started talking about the fight, right? I can feel it. That sadness was lifting, man. Like bring it. And I think honestly, I think that that's the truth for me. Like that's the work I want to do. I want to, that's, that's. I don't even think it's fair to say that's the work I want to do because it's work I've been doing. I think the problem continues to be how do I take care of my my structural self? Because that's a, remember I got to that place, that's a non-negotiable. I'm going to have a, a, a decent credit score and I'm going to be able to buy in bulk. I'm going to be able to have savings, investments, I'm going to be able to take care of myself as a solo person. I'm not going to go and get a, a spouse. No, my God. I never was that way. And then I just allow people to get in my head for a minute. And that's where that, that, that situation with my ex. Oh, my God. And, you know, the lady who's got that Rico that's doing that Rico indictments. Fonnie Willis and you know they they're they're trying to they're trying to get her for having this relationship with one of her lead prosecutors anyway one day I'll have to talk about that but right now we just kind of let it roll out but recently they she was they called her to the witness stand actually they didn't she went to the witness stand <laughs> oh she uh she you, you want to talk about having eight energy I, I can't see her not being an eight Man, she has. If she's not an eight, she's in one. She's in, she's got one of those enneagram types that can mimic the eight. My gosh! But anyway, she was like, "I ran to the witness stand. I wanted to confront you." <laughs> I just listened to her. I'm like, "Oh my god, that sounds so much like me." 
But anyway, when they were trying to say that she put this man in this position so she could profit off of him, like, so she put, she's dating this prosecutor, she's dating this attorney, she puts him in the role of a lead prosecutor, and now they're taking these trips and he's paying for it off of the salary that he made because she put him in this position. And she's like, I don't need his money, I got my own money. And she said, a man is not a plan. A man is a companion. I was like, my God, that's a t-shirt. That's a t-shirt. A man is not a plan. <laughs> and I, I want to expand that. A spouse is not a plan. You don't get someone to, to no. But I think that's a map. That's a map that's given to women. You know, you get, you want to take care of yourself. You want to be, survive, you get, you get married. So no, I don't want to, I don't want to survive by having a spouse take care of me and, and do the work. I want to, I want to do the calling and take care of myself. Those are two things. And so I feel pretty confident that I figured out the, the strategy. It's now deploying it. It's now implementing it. And a lot of things are coming at me, you know, um, you know, when I talked, I was so excited about my ground zero. The ground zero is a thing and I've been building it and it's a beautiful system. You know, one day I'll have to really, I know I keep telling, giving you pieces of it, but the system is beautiful. It's just not perfected. The system isn't perfected yet because there's some things I got to calibrate. There are glitches. One glitch was that I, I had to take time off to take care of my person. Well, so the glitch in the system right now, my ground zero is that if I don't work, I don't get paid. That's the glitch. And I got to work that glitch out. And I'm going to work it out because I'm an INTJ. I will work it out. <laughs> I'm pretty confident about that. I just haven't worked it out yet. And so, um, and so right now the, the, my dollars are very, very low. Um, my credit score dropped, you guys, by 20. There's going to be a major drop in the next three weeks because I have to, I'm going to have to live off my credit for now for a minute to cover, to compensate for the fact that I didn't work, you know, but then I, I'm trying not to begrudge that because I had the credit, you know, I had two credit cards, um, to do that, right? It's not great. I'm not going to be, it, it's not, I don't enjoy looking at that credit score that dropped 19 points. Uh-uh, that, that feels horrible because my credit score was like in the good range. It was not for so long. I was like, my credit score is good for me. It was in the fair category because they, the, the credit bureaus rate, rate your credit score. And so mine was under fair and I had to work hard to get there. It took three years to get to fair. <laughs> That's how bad my credit score was, but I got it, but it was good for me. But I finally, in the last year, made it to the good status. And so now it's going to go drop down grossly to probably bad or whatever, whatever the word is. And I have to be okay with that because I'm working the system. And, um, you know, there's an episode I did um, a year ago. I don't remember which one, but I've. While my, per my, my person was in the transitioning phase, I was listening to a lot of old content. 
it was very soothing for me. I don't know why, but I was listening to a lot of my old content. And in one of the episodes I did over a year ago, it may have been two years ago, I talked about calibration. And and I don't know if this was the same episode, but I talked about going from Egypt to the promised land. And this is for the story of Moses in the Bible. And there's a scripture that I, oh, it, it was a, it was an episode where I was talking about you can't put new wine in old wineskin. You can't, you can't put new, you cannot put a new cloth on old garments. And both of those, and those might be two separate scriptures, but both of those really, I don't know. I, I, I didn't, I didn't come prepared to talk about that. But in that episode, there was something that I read that said, one of the reasons why we go back to the old, like when we're trying to transition into the new, one of the reasons we go back to the old is because the old is familiar and we have an emotional connection to the old. We don't have an emotional connection to the new. So when things get tough in that transition period and we're looking for familiarity because we're looking for comfort, we're looking for comfort in that transition period. Then we look for familiarity and then we go back to the old because the old, we have an emotional connection to it, the old. And I was listening to that, to that and I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. Like I clearly see a vision of where my, where I'm going with my design life and I'm working it. I'm proud of you. You guys will be really proud of me. But it doesn't feel good to have my credit score drop. It doesn't feel good to like just to just to, just to tell you guys I was in a car accident yesterday, and I guess I was in the wrong. I'm I'm after I'm done with this recording, I'm going to drive back to the spot to look at the signage. But apparently, I was in a uh, uh, a turning lane, and I didn't turn. But the, it's, but there's an argument. You know my brain can argue that. Because I don't think that that was about the turning lane. Because <laughs> I didn't have the accident where the turning lane. Um, so anyway, anyway, I was in an accident. My new car, not new, new, but my new car is damaged. Not lightly either. It's big. It's major. All I could do is come home yesterday and just go to bed. I was like, I t- and it has to be, it has to be a bad day when I don't want to process. I told my some of my family members. I said I was in an accident. I'm, I'm like, apparently I was in the wrong. I'm turning my phone off. I can't talk. I'm just gonna go to bed. <laughs> and um, and uh, that's what I did. I did go get up last night. I tried to go do karaoke. I went to two places. I did. I went and did one song at one place. It. I just was not in the mood. I did. And then I went. I forced myself to go to another place because Beyonce released a country out is releasing a country album in uh, in um in March. And you guys know I'm a I'm a country fan. I sing country music, and I get a lot of pushback singing country music as a black woman. So. You know, and there are black women who do sing country music that I follow their work, but they don't hit, 
they're not popular. No one knows who they are. And so for Beyonce to put out a country album and she hit the top of the country charts, number one. <laughs> and you know, that's controversial. And you know, I'm here for the controversy. So I've been trying, I, I got introduced to that song after my person's funeral. So excuse me, the funeral was on a Saturday. I got introduced to that song on a Sunday. And um, I started learning it. And my sister was like, like, that night I was like humming it. She's like, how did you do that? I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm just listening to it on repeat. So all week I've been listening to it. And so I was like, I want to see what it's like. Let me go and try to do this karaoke after just one week. And so um, I went and I did it. <laughs> I went to a country bar and it was kind of radio silence. Those people, because I'm, it's a place that has a huge, all in the bar is Trump signs this and all kinds of Trump paraphernalia. <laughs> so I took my sister there a couple of weeks ago. She was like, do you know where we are? I was like, mm-hmm, you're okay. I said, you're okay. Because <laughs> my sister's eyes were big when she was like, do you know where we are? I said, yep. But they're okay. They're good people. They tolerate me. I tolerate them. And but when I sang that Beyonce country song last night, you could just feel it. And because they have a relationship with me, they weren't mean to me, but they did not. It was you could just feel it. <laughs> you could feel it. But you know, I, again, that's the work. You know, that's justice work for me. To because there's history. Don't get me started in this rabbit hole. But anyway. And I've already told you guys that country music comes comes from black folks. But I couldn't really I couldn't really defend it. What I didn't realize until recently is that a lot of the instruments that you know, like the banjo, that came from Africa. And um Negro spiritual. So like there's anyway <laughs> and there's a lot it's very church, you know, and which is probably why I like country music. <laughs> Imagine that. But anyway, so I did that. Um, and then I just, you know, I just have been telling myself that accidents happen. I have insurance. It could have been worse. And I got to keep it moving. So here I am with a drop credit score. I don't have enough money to pay my bills, you know, without using my credit. And now I got a, and I have had, my car is wrecked, not damaged, like it's drivable, but it's, it's, uh, it's ugly. You know, I was really happy about my car. It's ugly now. <laughs> it's damaged. So I got a deductible this, that I got to pay and they're going to give me a ticket <laughs> and my insurance is going to go up. <laughs> so there's that. So, <laughs> so naturally. You, it's easy. It's easy for a person in a situation to think about, I'll just go back and get a job. And I'm, and that's not off the table because I already told you guys that the one thing of getting a job that will help me is that I would qualify for more to get a mortgage because I'm not going to be able to get a mortgage alone right now um, without doing the, what the work that the freelance work that I'm doing. But what I'm telling myself is hold the line, you know, hold the course. Stay the course. Because one thing, while my money is low, don't feel sorry for me, y'all. Because while my money, my money is low, my psychology, my mental health is better. Like, of course, 
Of course, there's a lot happening because of the death of my person and in the aftermath of the world that she created that I got to live in and, 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 and the, the, and the impact that she had on my own wellness, on my own sense of self, that it's all difficult, but I'm not mentally wrestling that I, in the way I do when I'm when I'm working in these jobs, you know, and you guys have heard it. I'm not wrestling like that. I have so much peace um, because the freelance work that I'm doing, I go in and I do it and I'm I'm done. And I have, what I'm happy about is my freedom, my autonomy, and my creativity, those three things. And it's working. The only thing about it is that it's not enough, you know, it's just anyway. Anyway, I'm staying. I don't want you guys thinking I'm trying to create a sad story for myself. Because really, at the end of the day, I'm staying the course. We all have hardship. We all go through it. And this is just me going through it. Am I going through it the way I did five years ago? No. I don't want to. But even if I have to go back, I won't stay there long. I'm not going to stay there long because I learned so many lessons. Just watch this space. Watch this space. But I want to get back on course so I can tell you guys. So I can start bringing closure. So anyway. Staying the course for me is very important to the calling. Because it's in the calling. It's where my joy is at. It's where my joy lives. And I think the difference between what I'm doing today at 52, almost 53, and what I did when I was 43 or even when I was 48, the difference is that I now am factoring in myself, self-preservation, self-care. Before I didn't factor that in, I took it for granted. I was self-sacrificing, like, I don't need to take care of myself. I'll be okay. And that is the, that would, I would say that's a significant difference in terms of me pursuing the call. That it is helping other people, but also making sure that I'm okay at the same time. It's a non-negotiable to take care of other people and not take care of myself. And that's a trauma response, by the way. To be self-sacrificing. Um, and maybe... To be self-sacrificing the way that I was. So I don't, I don't want to take that away from somebody if they really want to be self-sacrificing. Cause I think that there is godliness there. I do. But the way I was self-sacrificing was irresponsible. It was irresponsible. And it was because, it was a byproduct of, of my person in different ways, letting me know, telling me that I don't matter, that my wellness doesn't matter. Other people matter. And um, and I've been doing a lot of healing work. And, um, and I don't feel that way. And I mean, my God, this podcast. This is to my friend who emailed me, if you're listening to me. He said he's been listening. Or I, I'm assuming, I think it's a guy. And he said he's been listening to me for two years. Wow, thank you so much for that. You know, I can't tell you how good that made me feel. <laughs> Again, I got that email uh, probably the day after my person passed. So that felt really good. 
But in some way, in so many ways, your NI Dom podcast, this podcast number two is not my side chick. This is the real me. This is the primary me. Podcast number one is kind of the side chick. First of all, I haven't done any episodes in it in two years. But let's talk, not talk about the podcast number one. Let's talk about my primary name and my books. That's what the person was saying. They want access to They want me to talk about my books. And I'm like, you know, and he acknowledged that I'm able to compartmentalize, which I am. And what I think is that that compartmentalizing is my survival. It's partly survival. And his his argument in the email is if you want to be authentic, if you really, really want to be authentic, you'll be integrated. Why are you compartmentalizing like this? <laughs> I don't know. Of course, I'm adding tone to it because I don't know his tone. Oh, my God. The car next to me is leaving. Yay. <laughs> it's been bothering me. The car is leaving. Yay. Okay. But, um... It's partially compartmentalizing. It's so, but I don't know if I need to put my fully integrated self out in the world to people like that. I need to be integrated at home. I don't know if I need to be fully integrated in a public platform. I don't know if I'm required to do that. But I do need to be, when I talk about being authentic, I need to be fully integrated on the ground. But to be fully integrated in public with people who I, that there's no mutuality to, where you hold me accountable, I hold you accountable. You get from me, I get from you. I don't know if I agree with that. I need to sit with it though. That's something, that's one of the reasons, that's one of the things I've been chewing on. This concept of authenticity when it comes to this project. So I talk about being authentic with you all. I believe that I am. And, but it doesn't mean I give you my my government name. It doesn't mean I give you those products that I've produced under my government name. But the spirit of what I do under my government name is definitely in this project. That's where you hear me talking about being a social scientist. You hear me talking about being a critical race feminist, where I talk about power and justice. You know, that's all me. So this is, okay, you guys are getting the spirit of that justice work, that social work, and the spirit of the inner work. You you get both of those. You just don't get my government name. You just don't get those identity markers. And so, feel free to email and push back on that. You feel free. I, I'm, I always am here for it. Um, but, so that's the pushback to that. Like, here's the part of the, the challenge that I embrace. The challenge that this, e- my follower gave me that I'm embracing is that I don't want, okay, I, okay, here it is, here it is. I don't want to move forward in my primary self the way I've been moving forward. And I don't want to do it that way anymore. I do want to move forward in a more integrated way. I just don't want to do it through this podcast. So what is that going to mean? I don't know. 
is it mean does it mean I'm going to set up another pot I'm not going to do it through a podcast period I'm not going to be fully integrated through a podcast now will I be fully integrated in like a service that I provide you know like you know I think about developing courses where I can coach people and kind of helping them get to their destination and one of the guys that I follow on um YouTube and I was in his community and I just I took myself out you know it's a community that you pay $65 a month for and I'm like I don't need to pay $65 a month just to listen to content I I think it's great content but mm -mm. what I desperately need is community I need to be with people interacting with people who are traveling a similar journey of healing from childhood abuse childhood neglect childhood harm um that's what i need i don't need to just you know i need that interactiveness i need community i need to watch somebody else travel their journey and look at how they're doing and like oh that's a good idea oh i should do that or to share i'm going to share my story you share your story then we have a back and forth exchange that's what i need so anyway, that's what I want to, you know, that's one of the things that I kind of want to do. I started a community like that in 2018, but it wasn't healing. It was he- it was healing work that I didn't acknowledge was healing work. I didn't fully embrace it as healing work. I, I, I named it something else, but I tried to move in the direction of healing work. But the people who came into the community didn't think that they needed to do any healing work. Although they did. They thought they were just going to do this masturbatory play around personality theory. Because I framed it as a community for, for NI doms. And um, I was like, no, we got some healing work to do. And they didn't want to do that. So I removed myself from the community and supposedly they kept it going. And so I, that um, the husband and wife team now, they have a community that you can join. right? But I did that five years ago, by the way. <laughs> I just want to say for the record, y'all know the TEV, like I did it. I'm not going to say I did it first, but I did do it five years ago. And so, yeah, I want to do that again. Um, And that, anyway, going back to the guy whose community I was a part of, um, where I was paying $65 a month, I still deeply respect him. I love his content. Love it. And one of the things he said is that you can't, you go into a therapist who might be trained in this work. But did they live it? Because there's another layer of understanding that comes to the table when you've lived it. The thing that you're teaching, did you live it? You guys know I live it. You can watch me living it. You listen to me living it in real time. So can I be a coach to you? Yes. Am I perfect? No. But do I have the skill set? Yes. Do I have the insight? Yes. And I have the, (laughs) I'm going to still use the word authenticity. So I won't talk at you. I can't stand when somebody talks at you. I will talk with you because I understand. So that's the work I do want to do. I just got to get there. Just got to get there. And I know how to get there. I mean, I have, I, I have the strategy but right now, the strategy is a slow strategy. I don't have a, a faster strategy. Not that I, not, not that I know of it. Not as, not as of right now. 
Now, maybe when I'm done with this recording, it's going to hit me. Here's a new strategy for you, and I'm going to welcome it. But for now, my strategy is a little bit of a crawl. It's beautiful, though, and I have to make sure that I'm not distracted. So one of the things that I, I have to make sure of, like, so I'm doing freelance work, and part of that freelance work is subbing, right? It's classified as subbing. But I'm not functioning as a sub when I'm subbing. I'm functioning as a freelancer. How I'm engaging with those teachers, um, how I engage with the students, how I follow up. I'm following up with those those classrooms that I've subbed in. A sub doesn't follow up like that. I'm in the Google Classroom. I'm grading papers. I'm sending notes. I'm calling. That is not what substitute teachers do. <laughs> So I'm totally functioning as a freelancer in that regard. And now, you know, I need it now that this feels shitty to say, but now that I'm not contending with taking care of my person, I got time back to start thinking creatively about expanding that freelance work beyond the sub platform because once I've expanded beyond the sub platform it'll give me access to more revenue and more time because I'll I can I'll be able to charge differently and I'll be able to set a different schedule so it's coming it's coming I'm very confident it's just not here yet and I have to make sure that I don't lose myself in the in in the transition period as I try to leave Egypt into the promised land because I don't have an emotional relationship with the future, it's easier for me to fall back. But let me say this, because as I'm saying it, as I'm saying I don't have an emotional relationship with the future, there's a something on the inside of me is like, that's not true. When I did those two episodes about Ground Zero, it was two, there are two episodes, I can't remember what the other one was called. Design Living's Ground Zero, or whatever, I started developing an emotional relationship with my design life. Oh, I have it. I have it. That's the only thing that's sustaining me right now. And I pray, you know, I, like I said, and the only thing that would justify me going back to get a traditional job would be um, for me to qualify for a mortgage uh, to buy a house. That would be the only thing. And that doesn't seem as desirable. And I think I told you this during this window between January and March, it really starts in December, but January and March is when all leadership positions are posted in education. And I did say I was going to apply for those positions. I was just going to do it. I'm like, why are you doing that? Because what I envision for my future is freedom, autonomy, and, and, and creativity. And those leadership positions do not offer that. They take care of self-preservation. The self-preservation me, absolutely. But the self-preservation me is more than just structural. It is mental. And when you're working in these jobs that don't honor your strengths, it, it has an impact on your mental well-being, your emotional well-being. I see that so clear as day now. And you guys all witnessed it. You watched me struggle in that. 
you watch me struggle like, oh, maybe the problem is I need to get into leadership. Oh, maybe the problem is I need to be positioned in the, in the right, as the right kind of leader. Yeah, I need, I, yeah, I need to be positioned as the right kind of leader. But it's the, it's the leadership for the calling that I've been given. So, I think I backed into that reflection. Reclaiming my time and the truth shall set you free. I'm going to say the truth will set you free because my truth is I'm, I'm staying the course. And if that means I might have to go and what I might have to do is go get a job that is going to like a second shift job that is going to be Oh my God, the hourly rate is insulting to me. But with enough hours, I'll be able to meet my basic needs and then it'll free me up during the day to work the business. And can I do that for six months? I can. I can. I can. So that, man, a year from now, so I can have the daytime to build the network and then continue to build the systems that I started because they're they're beautiful, <laughs> and I'm like I know I'm an INTJ, but man, if if there was anything that was going to prove how INTJ I am, was to look at the intricacies of this system, the, my ground zero. It is beautiful. And I'm doing it, you know, and uh, it's just a slow crawl. But once I free up my day space, I'll be able to go faster. And so that's kind of what I need to do. Um, I think the part of reclaiming my time, though, is about this grief and um, with my person. And I, I think I'm going to come back and do a part two because um, I do want to process that. But I think this reflection is just going to. Um, I think I'm just going to be at peace with leaving it here that um, the truth will set you free. My truth is I'm an INTJ 8. I am a woman that has been heavily impacted by trauma and the degree of that impact is really still, it's just coming to me. See, I knew I was impacted by trauma, but I didn't really understand the degree of it because I didn't pause to consider it. I had to stick and move and write. And because I'm an achiever and I'm achieving through the trauma, you don't know that. But the evidence of the trauma is indicative. It's represented in my relationships. Now, I don't know what it's going to mean because I have very little desire to deal with people who are not on the path to wellness. I Very little. One of the things about this funeral was that a lot of people from my past came. I had several people who flew in. Man, I felt honored. My BFF, the one I haven't been talking to in a few years, 
she flew in. That's a separate conversation to talk about that because it, it did not end well. But she flew in. And there were moments of that that was really beautiful. That were really beautiful. And to see all of these people from my past and to people that I stopped talking to. Because you guys hear me talking about I, I got all of my friends. I don't have them anymore. Most of those friends came back to support me during this funeral. And it was beautiful. I was very thankful. I felt really good seeing them there. And I was reminded why those friendships had to end. What I'm hoping now moving forward is that I can love on those people because of who they were in my past. I can love on those people because they are people that I want to do well and not be in an intimate relationship. I had to sever the intimacy, the intimacy ties. I had to. Because you can't be intimate with somebody if they if you can't be your full self and you can't be affirmed. You just can't do I don't I don't want to do that. But I was practicing intimacy in an awful way with those people. And so ending those relationships meant cutting the intimacy ties. I'm really happy that I can say that today because in the past I didn't say that. I just said I had to get rid of those friends. Well, no, the truth was I had to end the intimacy ties. And they weren't going to allow me to do that. Because I tried to do that. I tried to just cut the intimacy piece off and say, hey, but I still love you. And they weren't going to let me do that. They fought. They were fighting for that. They were fighting to have me where they wanted me. And when I come back and I do a part two, which when I come back and do another episode, I got somebody that's engaging in a battle with me right now, trying to hold me in the spot that I was in prior to my person dying. And I had breakfast with a friend of mine yesterday, and I was telling her about a, a call, a phone call that I had with a person, and how it felt really weird. And the person that um, my friend that I had was having breakfast with yesterday, she said, "That person is trying to make sure that you stay in your place." So that person is gone now. You're still, we still need you to be who you've been. We still need you to be who you, who you've been to us. And we need you to be in the family system the way you've been. Don't change that. And I kind of suspected it, but my friend was like, oh, that was all that was about. And I'm like, Absolutely. So just like my friends in the past tried to fight to keep me as the person I was to them. And as I started healing, I no longer could be in that relationship with them that way. That's the same thing that is happening here. But what I told myself, and I came out, and I'm going to close now. I believe I'm getting close. What I told myself is what I told, what I said when my dad died. When my dad died. And I told you guys this too a couple of times. My half-sister wanted to engage me the way my dad had been engaging me in an unhealthy way. And because she saw me through his eyes. And I said, whatever he told you, I'm not going to live up to the version of me that my father told you about me. I'm not going to be that person anymore. I wasn't that person anyway, but I, I tolerated that version of myself a version of myself to have a relationship with him 
I had to put you guys on pause. It's been a long time since I put, since you guys have heard emergency vehicles in the background. Because <laughs> when I first started, I was living somewhere where there was like, an, every time there was a recording, you heard em, emergency uh, vehicles in the background. So anyway. So I told my my half-sister, when my dad died two years ago, I'm like, no, I'm not going to be that person. That I buried that person when I buried my dad. And that's how I'm feeling today. I'm not going to be the person that I had to be in my family because of my person. I buried that when I buried her. The problem is that I don't know who that is going to be. I don't know the fullness yet. See, I already knew. I already knew I was separate from that person with my father. I knew the separation between the version of me that my that I had to have to have that relationship with my dad. And I knew that when I wasn't playing, wasn't with him, I wasn't that person. That's different from that right now. That's different. There's no separation with this person. See what my, I don't know, this is clarity that I didn't have before I hit the record button. So thank you guys for being here. I didn't have this clarity, but it's coming through for me right now. With my dad... When I would go around him, there was a change. I started blossoming. And he saw it. And the growth in me is what created the conflict with my dad. That's what created the conflict. Oh, this is so good, y'all. I'm going to break down into tears because I'm getting clarity that I did not have when I hit the record button. With my dad... As I developed and blossomed, just like with my friends, conflict started happening. Because the the woman I was becoming didn't fit that container of that relationship. And he wasn't, a, he, 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 he tried. He tried to accommodate me as best as he could. As best as he could. And then we just battled it. <laughs> we just battled. That is not what has happened with my person. It's almost the exact opposite. The more I've matured and I've healed, the less conflict I've had with my person. I don't even know how to make sense of this, to be honest with y'all. How in hell is that possible? Because I, I started... I think the more that I began to heal and grow, the more I was able to see her woundedness. I could see her humanity. And I don't, and, and I didn't learn this about my person until the last year, which is really odd. She didn't like conflict. That's odd. Because of the conflict she created. Here's what I think really what that was about. She didn't have confidence to, to deal with conflict. 
But because of who I was to her and the power that she had over me, she didn't have to, she had the confidence. So oftentimes I became the repository of all the conflict that she could not enact in the world. I became the repository for that. And the more I healed, mm -mm, the more I blossomed, the, here it is, here it is. The more I blossomed and healed, the more space I gave. We had space before, but that space was her doing. She didn't seek to be in relationship with me. She didn't start trying to be in relationship with me until I became my own person. And I started creating a world for myself. And then she wanted to be in that world. She didn't want to. She, then she said she wanted to have a relationship with me. That's just not true. I know it's a, it's, it's a truth that my sister believes, but it's not true. It's just not true. She wanted to spend time with me in, in the world that I created. She wanted to be a part of that world. She wanted to have access to that world. But when it was the two of us, no. And when we were out in the, in that world, she didn't interact with me. She was in that world as though that world was hers. She wasn't in that world experiencing that world with me. She was having her own experience in that world. And honestly, it was like that world was her world. It was like my world that I had created belonged to her. <laughs> I'm going to have to sit with this some more because... I don't know how to make sense of it, but I don't know how to fully make sense of it. But the impression I'm having right now is that she, that the more I became my own person, I started creating my world more and more. And I created boundaries. And those boundaries were a problem. But we didn't have, we didn't, we didn't argue. And I learned to start to enter into that. I, okay. I learned to enter into that relationship with her with a resolve of this is just what it is. I'll still want to have a relationship with her, with you. I can't have that relationship that I want. I can't have the relationship that everybody would expect that we would have because of the kind of relationship. Because of the, 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 the archetype of that kind of relationship that everybody assumes. I, I would have loved to have that relationship. But I stopped trying to figure it out. And I just accepted. We can't have that relationship. I understand why. Do your own thing. Set boundaries. And you'll be fine. And I did that. And the more I did that, two things happened. The more I was able to create my world and I learned how to enter into a relationship with her in a very controlled way. And in that controlled relationship, we developed some kind of friendship in that very limited, controlled way. And I'm grieving that. Because there was a friendship in that slice. 
of the whole trauma circle, of the whole trauma pie, there was actually a friendship there. And that's confusing. That's part of the other, that's the other, the other piece that I want to talk about. That's confusing. All, all, all two, the two weeks that she's been gone and everybody's calling, how are you doing? How are you doing? And I'm like, I can't even begin to tell you how I'm doing because there's no map. There's no, there's no conversation. There's no map. There's no archetype that would ex- help me explain to you that inside of the trauma pie, there was a slice where there was a friendship that we were able to create because I began to control that connection. And, and it didn't become a problem. The slice, the friendship slice and the control did not become as big of a problem until this last year when she got sick. Because then we had to be together outside of the slice that I had controlled. Yet I'm still trying to have boundaries. Yet I'm trying to take care of her. And now we're all together and I'm trying to be controlled. And it was just a freaking train wreck, y'all. But I did it. I took care of her. I honored her. I honored her in that tribute. I honored her when that when she was in those final moments. I honored her in the last year when I helped fight for cancer, help her fight. I honored her, and I did, and I honored myself. I did that dual care that I told you guys a year ago. I came on this podcast. I said, my person has been diagnosed with cancer, and I got to do a dual care. I got to care for her, and I've got to care for me, and I did it. And now, I got to. Reclaim my time. What does that even mean? What time am I going to reclaim? Because I still got to really figure out the the means, the world that I've been building. How much of that is still trauma induced? This world that I'm is that's some healing still I got to do, and I got to tell the truth that I am recovering from trauma. And those people who are trying to stay, keep me connected, and they want me to be a part of this, uh, this system, this narrative, the script. Mm-mm. They're in for a rude awakening. That conversation I had with one of my aunts the other day, it was gross. But she's in for a rude awakening if she thinks that I'm going to continue the way I've been. That I, I'm not going to continue that way. Part of the, the part of that was a gift to my person. In the last year, it was a gift to her, so I could take care of her. So you guys have watched this space. <sighs> Telling the truth, the truth will set you free. And reclaiming my time, I don't have that fully worked out. It's not resolved yet. I don't have a bow on it. But that's the spirit of me moving forward. I'm going to think more about this. Reclaiming my time and the truth will set you free. So instead of me saying that was my starting point, I should say that's my departure. My departure is to meditate on that. And what is that going to mean for me? Because I don't fully know. You guys, if this reflection has had any value, please give it a heart, a like, or a thumbs up. Whatever is on your platform, I would appreciate it. It helps with the algorithm. Um, It helps bring more people to this project. Um, If this conversation about (laughs) telling the truth, 
authenticity, reclaiming what was lost, understanding what was lost, to even, what the heck are you going to even reclaim? (laughs) What are you going to reclaim when the whole, most of the essence of who you are was born through that trauma? I was developed in the trauma. That's a weird thing for me to accept. Most of all of me came from the trauma. I don't know. But anyway, if that conversation about authenticity, reclamation, if any of it relates to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. If my moving about has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. Do like my friend did. Go to that website, yournidom.wordpress.com, and go to, to the contact page. And I think it just hit them. I think it just hit the contact. Send me a message. It comes to me as an email, and then I'll email you back. I haven't done for you to listening to me. The guy who sent it to me, I haven't responded to you yet, but I am. But take this as the initial response. <laughs> this es- this episode, okay? I'm gonna dedicate it to you. Let me give you. Uh, you can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com, X, formerly known as Twitter, yournidom1. YouTube and Facebook, you're in Ida. You know I have no followers on YouTube, Facebook. I got followers on YouTube. Zero followers, zero likes on YouTube, on Facebook. Why is that, y'all? <laughs> because I don't engage there. I don't even know what to do with that. But anyway, um, let me give you your assignment. I got to make this really quick. Is there a you that exists outside of how you were socialized? So the whole socialization process through the social institutions, family, school, church, religion, the media. Who are you outside of those institutions that socialized you? That's a very difficult question, but I'm going to give it to you all the same. Who are you outside of socialization? You guys, it's been a press. You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.